This is Verve, the style podcast, your only source for everything fashion on the internet. We're your hosts. I'm Katie Gassman. And I'm Anna Grace Averett. With a combined 10 years of experience in e-commerce fashion, from buying and styling to visual merchandising and content creation, Katie and I know firsthand how the internet is reshaping the fashion industry. We sit down with your favorite creators and the next wave of innovators to discuss how they're pushing fashion forward and break down five of their favorite fits. On our solo episodes, we get into the latest fashion news, runway shows, internet trends, pop culture. It's basically like going to happy hour with your fashion besties. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode and follow along on TikTok and Instagram to see what we're wearing. I'm at Katie Gassman, two S's, two N's. And I'm at Anna Grace Averett. That's A-V as in Valentino, E-R-E-T-T. So sit back with your mandatory three beverages and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. This week, we have Kat McCoy, the owner of Best Kept, a luxury digital concierge jewelry service that helps individuals source and design special pieces of jewelry. Kat was previously a management consultant looking to treat herself to her first piece of fine jewelry with her corporate bonus. After looking for a few weeks and navigating the different types of metals, various retailers, and price comparisons, Kat realized there was a gap in the market for an expert fine jewelry concierge and launched Best Kept in 2018. In this episode, we cover everything you need to know about engagement rings from lab grown versus natural diamonds, size, clarity, settings, and pairing your engagement ring with the perfect band. If you don't have an engagement on the horizon, we asked Kat where to start when curating your own fine jewelry collection. We loved that she approached collecting jewelry practically, asking her clients about their lifestyle, budgets, and personal jewelry style when sourcing the perfect piece. And as a special twist on Kat's week and five fits, Kat shows us her five favorite pieces of jewelry that best represent her personal style, including my new favorite Cartier ring. It is insanely stunning. I've never seen a piece like this. So sit back, relax, grab your three mandatory beverages and learn all about how diamonds are truly a girl's best friend. So Kat, we saw that in your previous career, you worked in management consulting. So how did you become interested in fine jewelry? I have always loved jewelry. So that was just sort of a a passion of mine, you know, just as I was growing up. But the thing that really kind of pushed me in this direction was I got promoted at that corporate job you were referencing. All I ever wanted was to buy myself like a really heavy, solid link bracelet. And I searched, I don't know, I must have, I must have online searched for 90 days. By the end of it, you know, I like to say my eyes were bleeding and I felt like, If you were ready to throw down a little bit, ready to invest and knew what you wanted, it shouldn't be so insanely hard to find the best option for you, feel confident that you're paying a fair price and feel like you don't need to, you know, get a graduate degree in gemology to, you know, make an informed decision. So the whole process of buying a great piece of jewelry for myself was so difficult um, that I felt like there had to be a bit of a better way to navigate the seemingly endless number of options online. What were the hurdles that you found when you were looking for yourself? What did that you didn't know what kind of metal to choose? You didn't know what brand to go with. What were some of those things that were in your way of actually completing a purchase? So this was a really classic piece that I had in mind. So I knew enough to know that it wouldn't be great value to go for a major brand because I really wanted just a 14 karat yellow gold link bracelet versus like a signature design, which you would definitely be paying a premium on. So I knew I wanted something solid that felt good and heavy, but I didn't know is four grams heavy is 21 grams heavy to what extent does the price of gold impact the price. I also could look online and two seemingly identical bracelets could be 
you know, thousands of dollars apart in price. And so I, I certainly didn't want to get the cheapest option. So I, I kind of felt like, I feel like when I'm ordering wine at a restaurant where I was like, should I go for the second cheapest option? Um, but that's not really a strategic way to go about what at the time was one of the biggest purchases I had ever really made for myself. Um, so there was the concept of, of where to start, who to trust, and even what to look for in terms of what was important for this specific purchase. So as I said, I knew that brand wouldn't really be important here, but mm-hmm. to what extent was overall craftsmanship important? And, you know, the length of the bracelet in terms of, you know, if my wrist grows with time. So there were all these considerations and by far the most confusing part was just the huge discrepancy in price I was seeing and feeling like I just didn't have an entry point to start. I would love to get into the nitty gritty of the basics, I guess, of what our listeners need to know about finding the very perfect piece of jewelry. Like what five tips might you tell somebody to look at, you know, when they're shopping? So I would say the first thing I like to encourage people to think about is wearability. So is this something that you hope to wear every day? Is this more of a special occasion piece? Are you the kind of person that likes to go in the ocean and shower and play sports in their pieces? Or do you you take off your rings before you go to sleep? So focusing on not only how you want to wear it, where you want to wear it, and just overall lifestyle, I think can be really important. Um, I think you also have to ask yourself, to what extent you saw something you want and you got to have it, or are you trying to sort of build out your jewelry collection? So do you want to think about what you need or what you don't have, or are you lusting after something and you just got to go for it? Um, I think you also need to think a little bit about how price sensitive you are. Um, Have you done enough research to know this is exactly where I want to be? Are you a little bit more open-minded? I think being, you know, my most successful clients are always really forthcoming about where the, what their budget is because is, you know, then in my best interest to maximize their budget. If I'm guessing, I don't, I never want to show you things outside of your budget or, you know, not show you things because I think they're too expensive. So really being thoughtful about how much you're willing to spend is really important. Um, and then I think also having a general sort of trust on the craftsmanship. So really knowing who you're buying for buying from knowing what you're buying is, um, is important too. Where did you start to dive into knowing so much about jewelry and craftsmanship, like, did you start educating yourself during your hunt of this is the difference of grams? This is the different kinds of metals. Yes. So I am completely self-taught. As you guys said, I studied business in college and then was a management consultant. So I do not come by the jewelry trade, um, you know, through family, which is what, you know, the the majority of the business is actually third or fourth generation. And everyone's so surprised as to why I would want to, when I meet people in the industry, they're very, you know, curious as to why you would want to join, because in many ways, it's sort of like an old school, very insular community. Um, It's surprising. I feel like not a lot of um, industries are still like that. Yeah, I didn't know that jewelry was too. Exactly. And so what's been really interesting, but also a great opportunity for my business and jewelry is um, things absolutely have gone online. You can buy, you know, million things that are cost millions of dollars online. You can buy anything online, but there's not a great way to really curate that universe of options down to the best that are going to work for you. Um, And I'm so excited to get kind of your guys' thought because I think a woman's taste in jewelry is so specific. I think it's it's similar to her taste in fashion, but it's it's a little mm-hmm. bit different. And I think it's informed by different things than your taste in, in fashion. But um, I really started focusing on helping particularly men source gifts for their spouses or partners. And so there's buying jewelry for yourself, which is a challenge, and then buying something for someone else that they're going to love 
is another challenge. And so that's the thing I think I'm uniquely good at, which is taking limited inputs or pieces of information from someone and being able to find something that really aligns with someone's style. That can be the hardest thing is when you have like no parameters, when you're trying to be creative, that you need like a little bit of guidelines. Or I imagine like shopping with men who maybe don't have a grand idea of what their woman wants. So that could be tricky. Absolutely. So I think in the beginning, I really wanted to be the hero and I look how, how accurate the options are. I showed you, look how, you know, look how I nailed it, but I've realized working with more and more people that, um, at the end of the day, I can definitely provide my opinion. I can definitely point you in a certain direction, but the client has to own that final decision. They have to, I think there's a certain pride when you give someone something a little unexpected and you're like, you know, instead of going with the, the emerald, I really want to go with the sapphire because you're blue eyes. And, and I get really excited when my clients who start off like a little ambivalent about the whole thing eventually are, you know, either who are just really enthusiastic about it or really felt like they took a swing and they did it themselves. My husband um, bought my engagement ring online and he, I think feels like he deserves a degree in jewelry now because he searched forever and ever and ever. And I just wonder how differently his experience might've been had he had someone like yourself or a service or something, you know, to really help guide a person. Engagement rings are far and away my favorite part of the business because, um, the stakes feel high. Yeah. Um, you know, you definitely want to nail it and get it right. But I think you also want to express yourself a little bit while also sort of hitting it on whatever it is your partner is looking for or wants. Um, it's such an emotional purchase. And I always say that unless you own your own home for many people, this might be the most expensive purchase you've ever made. Um, so, you know, custom engagement rings are definitely the biggest part of my business and um, the thing I'm probably most passionate about. Well, let's get into engagement rings then that was going to be a big chunk of this conversation we feel like a lot of our audience is in the range of either having a boyfriend thinking about getting married or just like lusting after her dream ring even if there's no man in the photo what would you say are or can you run us through like the most important parts about a diamond what people should be looking for and what really matters Uh, Absolutely. So when it comes to a diamond, there is always going to be this central trade-off between overall quality on paper and then size. And so, um, you know, maybe your audience is familiar with this concept of the four C's, which is how a diamond is graded and what you look for with a diamond, which is cut, color, clarity, and carat weight. Um, So carat weight refers to the overall weight of the stone. Um, So it's very largely coordinated with size, but um, carat weight is not necessarily a one-to-one with how big it is. So, you know, I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. So depending how the diamond is cut, so how much, how deep it is, um, how much surface area, because when this, the diamond is set, of course, you're only looking at it from the top down on her finger. Um, and so if the diamond is very, um, sort of bottom heavy or carries its weight on the bottom, then you're kind of paying for a lot of carat weight that you can't see. Um, so carat weight largely correlates to size, but of course there are some nuances there. Um, and then color and clarity, I think are probably the dimensions of a diamond that most people are familiar with. And, um, you know, where things get even sort of more nuanced and tricky is that for certain shapes, clarity is very important for other shapes. Clarity is much less important, but it can really dictate price. And so at any given time, you could adjust a lever, which is, you know, I'm willing to go down in color a little bit because I want to go up in clarity or size. And so there's always sort of that central trade-off between all of the different factors. And I think being really 
honest with yourself about what's important to you. Um, so I have some brides who are like, beg, borrow, or steal. I want this to be at least X carats. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, then we can really have a lot of fun and kind of sacrifice some of the other dimensions. Um, other people want, you know, a D flawless diamond. And if you're looking for a D flawless diamond, depending on budget, it's going to be much smaller. So um, I think being aware of what's important to you, particularly when it comes to size and overall quality is really important. And then also knowing that, you know, a diamond is graded for those factors um, by the GAA. Um, and um, it's just humans who, who do the grading. And so you always want to work, if you can, with a trusted expert who can help you find a stone that's really good value or, you know, what we'll say is like kind of outperforms a certificate. So there's always ways to find little pockets of value because at the end of the day, the diamond is really an optical illusion. And so um, there are different ways to kind of think about it and different ways to find the one that sort of is the best value for you. I can see how this would become a family business and you would have to have almost generational knowledge to have the relationships and all of this deep understanding of gemstones. And it's so beautiful. Yeah, there's, so there's the really technical component. And I think it's such a great way to build trust and show my expertise. And so, um, you know, a question like that, I want to give you my best, most informed answer, but then there's this sort of more woo-woo component of the whole thing, which is ideally we've curated the diamond selection or gemstone selection down to the best four or five in your budget that there's no bad option. And one just really needs to speak to you. Mm-hmm. And it does sound like a little soft and, you know, a lot of my, but your engagement are- ring, you're dealing in engagement rings. Like it's about love at the end of the day. Yeah. So, I, you know, particularly my, my toughest clients are always lawyers. Um, they're <laughs> um, and so, you know, every once in a while I'll get a lawyer in the room and he's looking at me like I've got eight heads when I say, I hope that one will jump out to you. I hope that one will speak to you. But by the end of the appointment, we could be 45 minutes in, we could be an hour and 45 minutes in, he will be looking at two stones and he'll be like, I don't know if this one, it's just calling to me. And that to me is the moment where everything has come together, even before the setting is made. How often is it just men approaching you or are you getting a lot of partners coming together, trying to pick out the ring together or or men still trying to just surprise women completely? It is very, very rare that a male client will come in and he has no idea as to what she wants, which is this, he's so in love. He just wants to get a ring. Um, More often than not, he's, you know, she has sort of explicit, they've tried on rings together. She sort of explicitly said what it is she's looking for, or he's consulted her sister or best friend or mom. Um, but I would say even just in the, really the last two years for me, it's become so much more common for both parties to attend the mm-hmm. appointment for me to be actively working with both parties at the same time. Um, and um, it makes for a very different experience, but it's very cool too for you know the bride to be or whoever um, to be involved the whole time. Is it harder to have both parties in the room? You know, now that we're old friends here, I'll be <laughs> candid and say that I kind of prefer that more one-on-one relationship because it allows me to really engage with the buyer and mm-hmm. um, kind of do what I do, which is offer a little bit of guidance and kind of guide you to the right choice for you. But, you know, one of my number one rules is always that at the end of the day, if it comes down to what you want or what the person who's going to be wearing it wants, you know, the latter should always win. And so, you know, just last week I had a client who he, you know, sort of a pride thing, an ego thing. He wanted to go bigger, but he knew that his bride wanted a certain quality level and she was okay with smaller. And so he felt, you know, for the same price, 
he felt awful buying the smaller stone, but I just kept telling him over and over again that like, when it comes to this, she's going to, you know, ideally she'll be wearing it every day for the next 60 years. Um, and you know, tie goes to the bride. (laughs) (laughs) I watched this Netflix documentary all about diamonds. I'm sure you've probably seen it, but I thought it was very interesting that a diamond has not always been the traditional stone for an engagement ring. It's really in the past like 100 years really due to a lot of marketing efforts that a diamond has become the number one engagement stone are you seeing that people are opting for other stones besides diamonds do you have an opinion do you like to see other gemstones involved I love color gemstones and I think it makes for something really unique and a little bit different I would say um the vast majority of the rings that I do are still sort of more traditional white diamonds you know, you talk a lot about marketing and um, how sort of companies have really dictated the trends that way. I think the next big thing coming is this idea of lab-grown diamonds. Um, And lab-grown diamonds are very, very trippy in some ways or difficult to wrap your mind around because they have the same exact chemical composition as a diamond mined from the earth. But instead of thousands of years for it to grow, it takes just a few months. But they're made using high pressure, high temperatures, um, the same way a a diamond mined from the earth is made using high pressure, high temperature. Um, So, you know, lab grown diamonds are much more affordable. um, And again, they have the exact same chemical composition. So anybody, even a jeweler, if he were to tell you that he can tell the difference between a lab grown and a natural, he would be lying to you. You need a a special piece of equipment to be able to tell the difference between the two. Um, And so that's really shaking up the industry quite a bit. Do you think that would dilute the value of a diamond over time of a, a traditional grown one? You know, there is something really romantic about selecting something rare that, again, took hundreds or thousands of years to grow. And I think for a lot of people, that will continue to be really important. Um, Mm -hmm. For other people who are a little bit more pragmatic or, you know, have something that they, you know, don't have the budget for exactly what they want, but feel like they could get, you know, better bang for your buck, I think a lab grown can be a great option. Um, the, the thing to understand about lab growns is while they are much more affordable, um, the resale market is much more unknown. And so ideally an engagement ring you'll wear, as I said, for the next however many years. But if you wanted to trade up or if, you know, for whatever reason you no longer wanted it, it it's not going to be worth, you know, close to what you paid for it. So mm. the market is much different. Of course, a nat- the natural diamond market is so much more established and with lab growns, because it is such a cool value proposition that like, hey, this is a diamond. It's just was grown differently. Um, there's been so many people entering the market that the price has gone down even more. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you think about your engagement ring as like an asset, um, you want to go with a natural diamond. When you think of it as something you want to wear and enjoy and, and have something beautiful, then lab grown can be really compelling. Using jewelry as sort of an investment is a really nice concept. I think it makes me feel like I can justify a really nice purchase at the end of the day. But what's the difference between, you know, spending money on a beautiful piece of jewelry and buying a stock? I like to, I mean, my husband loves to try to tell me that it's not the same, but I think it's the same. So what advice might you have for someone who's just starting out and deciding that they want to try to start investing in jewelry? Um, I love that question, by the way. And I love that debate that you have with your husband. (laughs) Um, When you think about jewelry as an investment or as an asset, 
the first thing I always say to people is, and I'm sure it's very similar to shopping for designer clothes, is do not buy something because it's a good deal. Don't buy something because it's less expensive than you thought it was going to be. You should really only acquire a piece if you love it. And, you know, as I keep saying, if it speaks to you, um, because ultimately the market will, you know, there will be changes and flexes and and you're not exactly sure where everything's going to going to sort of land. Um, if you really want to think about jewelry as an investment, I would say it's still, you know, just as true as it's ever been that the pieces that are going to maintain their value over the long term are probably going to be the houses, you know, the pieces from the major houses. So a Cartier piece, a Tiffany piece, you know, any of those major signed signed pieces really maintain their value well. Um, even really expensive emerging designers that you'll see on Net-A-Porter or Moda, um, you know, they can have that same, you know, five or 10x retail markup, but they're not going to maintain their value in the same way that like a really heritage brand will. Back to the family-owned concept of it, right? Like at Cartier and Tiffany have been around for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. There's that sort of that worldwide appeal. They have some really iconic designs that people know and love. Um, so I would say. Would you start there then? Would you start with maybe one of those classic designer pieces? It really depends on your sensibility. I have sort of a more understated taste in jewelry. I think I like to say I'm the only person who sells jewelry on Instagram that doesn't wear like 15 love bracelets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just sort of my, uh, you know, unique aesthetic um, is a little bit more understated. So um, I would be cool with something smaller and more luxe for people who like to experiment and wear different earrings every day and maybe have multiple piercings. I don't think your budget is going to go quite as far. And so um, there are beautifully made things that are so much more affordable than the major houses. But from a long term investment standpoint, it's the, you know, the signed Cartier pieces that are going to sort of maintain their value the best. Yeah. I mean, kind of coming back to the natural grown diamond versus the lab grown diamond, they both have value. You just have to kind of figure out what's important for you personally. Absolutely. And, and I really feel like jewelry is meant to be worn. So, um, you also want to consider, uh, you know, you always want to buy something within your means so that you can enjoy it. Um, and, and obviously still take care of it and, and treat it like a special object that it is. But, um, I think it's really important that it's something you feel comfortable and confident wearing. I want to hop back to engagement rings really quickly because I have a question of, do you help people source their wedding bands as well? Like I know my mom growing up, she had a ring that was more oval shaped in like sapphire. I think it was like princess Diana's engagement ring. If you're familiar with that. And because of it, she could never wear her wedding band with the engagement ring. So she would end up wearing her engagement ring on her other hand. And then she wore like her grandma's on her hand with her wedding one. Cause it had a flat bottom. And now I've seen like a lot of TikToks of people showing how they're getting these specially made like Cuban cigar bands, like cut out. So it, it fits like a starburst. So mm. I feel like so often those go hand in hand. So do you usually help collaborate on both? Yes. I love working on wedding bands because it's one of those things where I always encourage my clients to try on a lot of things and see what feels good on their hand. Um, there are some rules where some, if you have an emerald cut engagement ring, some people would encourage you to have more of a step cut band as well. So you know, baguette diamonds go really well with an, an, an emerald um, engagement ring. Um, but the sort of most effortless, most beautiful stacks are, are the ones that just feel good on your hand that you feel really good in. And so, you know, some of my favorite combinations have been 
sort of more round, brilliant stones with a step cut engaged ring. So feeling like you can just see what feels good on your hand and what looks good. Uh, you know, to your point with your mom's ring, um, some people get really, um, you know, bother them a lot if the wedding band doesn't sit flush with the engagement ring. Um, mm -hmm. For other people, that sort of little space doesn't bother them at all. And it's just sort of part of the overall look. Um, so it always sounds a little bit trite, but um, my single best piece of advice for pairing a wedding band with an engagement ring is to try a lot of different things on. Katie, is that something you did? No. Well, well, I had a really specific vision of my wedding band. I just wanted it to be, um, I have a cushion cut diamond, um, and with like a little small halo band. So I just wanted a three quarters halo band for my engagement ring, mm. um, just to go right along with it. So I knew exactly what I wanted and it wasn't like a whole thing. <laughs> Talking about trends within engagement rings, we love to talk about trends on this show. And I feel like, again, with TikTok, I've been able to see a lot of people opting for different types of rings. I think Emily Ratajkowski's engagement ring really sparked a double gemstone movement of like two large stones connected together that I've never really seen previous to that. But now I've been seeing it a lot of, over Pinterest. Are there any engagement ring trends that you're seeing pop off more now? Absolutely. So I think what you were describing before is the Maitwa style, and that's become so much more popular. And there's a, a direct correlation between her getting engaged with a ring like that and, you know, now all those rings that you're seeing. Um, so, um, so absolutely, there are definitely big trends in engagement rings. I would say um, oval diamonds the last few, few years have become, you know, one of the most popular shapes after, you know, not being quite as popular for a long time. Um, and mixed metals has become really popular as well. So depending on the color of the stone, a lot of brides will want the shank or the band to be yellow gold, but we'll do the prongs or the head in platinum. Um, and so then you've got the white of the platinum reflecting into the white diamond, which is always a good thing, but you've also got like sort of a very subtle two-tone or uh, mixed metal look. And it just gives you so many options for your wedding bands as well. I really like Steph literally that. just got that combo of an oval one with the silver prong and the gold band. And it reads very classic on her hand. I'm sure it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's, you know, I think when you say mixed metal, people think it's going to be a little bit more alternative, but, um, it can. Yeah, it can be lots of different things um, style-wise. Do you recommend different shapes of gemstones for different people's hands? Like, do people think that an oval tends to be more elongating than a circle wood or like a cushion cut? Um, exactly. So an oval, an oval diamond is such a great way to sort of make your finger look a little bit longer, um, versus, uh, more stubby. Um, but I, what I just find so interesting about the whole engagement ring process is I think most women have, um, hands dysmorphia. <laughs> I've seen with the most gorgeous hands, you know, I keep telling them they could be a hand model, think that they've got weird stubby troll hands. Um, and then the people who you would think might be a little bit more self-conscious about their hands or waving them around. And, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, I, I think it's really difficult for people to kind of assess their own hands. Um, how can you, when you're looking at them every day? I mean, <laughs> mine are really small for my, like, stature I think and then I compare it to people who are like I'm five foot seven who people who are like five foot one and they're like the same size hand I'm like I feel like these should have grown more I should have longer <laughs> fingers yeah I've never thought to have been insecure about my hand so I'm gonna keep that train rolling <laughs> mm -hmm. 
All right. So outside of engagement rings, obviously building a jewelry collection, that's going to be something that you treasure as a whole art form. And you're helping people get special moments pieces I saw specifically. So maybe like baby gifts or anniversary gifts, or what other kinds of events are you helping people jewelry pick up, helping people pick jewelry out for? So those major milestones that you were discussing are a big part of the business. So birth of a new baby has become a really big category and become much more popular. Um, Anniversaries, birthdays, Christmas, Hanukkah. So the major holidays are always going to be important. I think graduation gifts are incredibly sweet and some of my favorite to work on. Um, But I would say the category that is probably one of the fastest growing that I think is really exciting are self-purchases. So this idea of I just got a promotion or I've wanted something for a really long time and I'm no longer waiting around for someone to, to buy it for me. Um, is it's such an empowering purchase. It's so much fun. And people will often want to work with me because it's a big deal to them to finally invest in something great for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they really want sort of that high level of service to make sure they end up with the exact right piece. But those, um, I wanted it. So I bought it for myself is probably, you know, one of my favorite categories. I did have, I have a number in my head that when this happens, I'll buy myself a ring. And I, that's I a always, milestone piece. There exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like I always wanted another ring to wear like on my other hand to kind of complement the engagement ring. I've specifically always really wanted a Ruby ring or a garnet mm. ring. I like the color red. So I have a garnet ring. Cause that was my color from college. Oh, cute. Yeah. So maybe I'll be coming to you for help at some point. <laughs> Daddy, when you are. <laughs> do, do you see people starting out with a specific piece most often, like a set of earrings or a bracelet or a special necklace? I would say the everyday necklace is typically the place where a lot of women will start because um, it is something that can be really powerful to invest in for yourself. But from a practical standpoint, It is one of those pieces that I think every woman should own, which is like a really great everyday necklace. It doesn't necessarily mean that you wear it every single day, although many people do. It's just a great option for, you know, really anything except for black tie. Right, right, exactly. So the every the special everyday necklace I think is really fun. In terms of what I'm just seeing across the board on a lot of people's wish lists um, is the tennis bracelet. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally just said that to Katie earlier. I was like, I should get a tennis bracelet, shouldn't I? <laughs> just really the last, not even five years, maybe the last three or four years, there's been just an explosion of interest in a tennis bracelet. And it used to be one of those things where, you know, white ladies of the country club would wear it, but it's become just really mainstream and people of all different ages and styles and uh, you know, it's become, people can wear it in so many different ways. And I think the big difference is that instead of just wearing it for a special dinner, um, you see people wearing tennis bracelets so much more casually. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's got a whole different vibe and energy and you can still, um, you can take something that used to feel like a little bit uptight or stodgy and and make it feel so much more contemporary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That just made me think, do you source watches as well? Or is that a different kind of business? I do. I have a great watch dealer who I work with really closely. I have learned that watches and fine jewelry are more like second cousins than really Mm -hmm. brother sister. And so unless you directly know a really reputable watch dealer, I like to tell people you don't want to buy your watch from the same person that you buy your jewelry from. They're just such separate businesses. They're such separate worlds. The people who work in them are very different and have different temperaments. Um, (laughs) And so there's so, so much to know about watches that 
I really like to partner with um, just a really talented watch dealer. And that means that I can absolutely source you a great watch, but you really need to know the model that you want, um, have a good sense of what budget you're willing to spend. Um, I'm, you know, it's something that I, you have to know what you want and we can go find that exact thing, but there's a little bit less of the, let me guide you to the right choice for that. Yeah. I'd I'd love to more- know, oh. I would love to know what the personality of a watch person versus a fine jewelry person is. Very intense. Um, <laughs> Uncut gym very, style. And truly, and the community around watches are very intense. It's very masculine, very male dominated. I can see that. And there's this emphasis on the most minute details. And so I had a client just, you know, candidly talking circles around me a few weeks ago mm-hmm. because he liked that the 2017 model had a different secondhand movement than the 2014 model and just the smallest nuances can impact price by thousands of dollars. Um, and it becomes a little bit of like an Easter egg game where the more knowledgeable person can spot the one thing different and what makes it so much more expensive or so much more rare, or so much more valuable. And so I think it's much more difficult for you to sort of have like a, an entry point to, to growing your collection. It's, it's, to me, it's just very intense. Um, and high yeah, I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick with the fine jewelry. Mm. <laughs> I was going to ask watches are probably more brand specific than fine jewelry tend to be right. Absolutely. When it comes to price and overall value, um, brand is everything. And so Rolexes have the Rolex market is absolutely insane right now. It's calmed down a little bit. Um, but, but the beginning of the year, I mean, watches were going for double or triple what they would cost new in the box from the Rolex store, just because there was so there was no inventory at all. Um, they stopped production in the beginning parts of COVID. And mm. so there's like a five or six year wait list for a new Rolex. Wow. And so people are looking to the secondary market or anywhere else to acquire one and just paying insane prices. Um, so, you, you know, if, if it's um, a milestone occasion and you need it for a specific date, then absolutely look for the best deal and, and try and be patient if you can. Um, but I think I'm starting to see already that the market is sort of calming down a little bit. Um, but yeah, Rolexes have exploded. The big, big brands, again, the, the four or five, six heritage brands are always going to be um, maintain their value really well. Speaking of insane prices, are you able to share with, with us the most expensive piece of jewelry you sourced? I can. Um, I can't share too many specifics, but um, I'm very proud to say the most expensive piece I've sourced was $205,000. Ooh, wow. Are we allowed to know what kind of piece it is? A a watch, a ring? It was a big fat diamond. Yes. Oh, yes. Happy customer. Yeah, I love that for her. So when you are going out there, you said that you have a watch dealer, but um, when you're sourcing jewelry, how does that process go for you? Are you working directly with brands? Are you working with private sellers? Um, Walk us through what a typical exchange might be. What I love about the sourcing side of the business is there's not really a typical project. So for some, sometimes I'm shopping in store Sometimes I'm visiting partners. Sometimes I'm buying directly from a wholesaler or a supplier that I have. Other times I am looking online like everybody else, but I just sort of know the little pockets of value or where to start to look. Um, So, you know, I've gotten much faster, but depending on the project, it can take me anywhere between 
two to 15 hours to source the four or five objects, the four or five options that I think are really going to work for you or whoever we're shopping for. Um, I live very close to the Diamond District in New York City, and that's where the majority of my partners are. And so I have some friends who own a retail store right on the ground floor on 47th street. And sort of, I can shop their inventory. Um, I have other suppliers just sort of all across the country. Um, there are other designers who I work directly with who I can either buy at an industry discount or at wholesale. Um, so I, you know, about five years into the business, I like to say beg, borrow or steal. I can track down almost anything. Um, but the way I get there is always sort of a, a windy road. <laughs> a scavenger hunt. Exactly. And you've got to be patient um, and, um, you know, trust your intuition. I think um, what's challenging about this is I've had some people ask, well, could you take on more clients if you had an assistant or could you take on more clients if you had sort of the, the standard 20 necklace was not price point? And you probably could. Um, but I do feel like jewelry is so personal. It really is just a little difficult to put your exact finger on it. And so um, I'm kind of happiest when I am completely in the weeds um, on a treasure hunt. Yeah, it's a it's a quality over quantity business. Exactly. Yeah. How long is the process for creating your own piece of jewelry? Custom jewelry um, can take anywhere between two weeks to six months. Um, it really depends on whether or not we're sourcing gemstones or other materials, um, to what extent they're, uh, when you like, there's different considerations. So if we're doing something that's like really heavy, then there's like the laws of physics. So will the chain break? How wide does the chain need to be? How can we attach this to the chain? Um, so there's lots of different nuances. Um, oftentimes with a custom piece, we'll go to the extra effort of creating a 3d rendering. Um, both to see what's possible and also so the client can sign off on exactly what we're making. Um, so you can do like a quick and dirty, really simple design in a week or two, or you can, um, you know, spend the better part of a year trying to work through the details. I have this, uh, like the Carrie Bradshaw nameplate necklace that says Anna Grace. I got it for my 16th birthday. And that was like my first piece of like real jewelry, like real gold. And I had to get the chain replaced three times because the weight of my name being so long, it kept stretching the chain and it kept breaking. So I know exactly what you're talking about with the laws of physics on that one. <laughs> I know for the next time you replace it, maybe a, maybe a wider chain. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's been good ever since, but I'm like, when it got replaced, I didn't love it as much because it wasn't quite as dainty, but dainty you. doesn't work if your necklace keeps flying off. You don't <laughs> and is that a gift or something you bought for yourself? Um, it was a gift for my mom. Oh, that must've been so fun to open. Yes. And I still wear it like every day, even years later. So I mean, what could be more special than that? So like in terms of an investment, I mean, flowers die, trips end, um, mm -hmm. concerts, every, you know, everyone has their phone up the whole time, but a piece of jewelry remains. <laughs> yeah. My, my college graduation present was to a music festival, which when I was thinking, when you were saying that fine jewelry makes a good graduation present, I was like, mm, maybe you should have thought about that a little more, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we're going to wrap this up and maybe you can just explain one more time to our listeners about why Choosing a service like yours, your business is called Best Kept. I don't think we actually said that yet. Versus going to their local Zales or an in-person jewelry store. What are the benefits to working with someone one-on-one? -on -one? I think the benefits is that we can 
work together to find the exact right option for you or whoever you're shopping for. A lot of the retail stores have an incredible inventory, but they're limited to what they have in the store. Oftentimes they're trying to work around a certain price point or a certain style, but to feel like you have almost any option at your fingertips or any option is in play, I think is really powerful. Um, And then I think for a lot of people, they have a sense of their style or they know what they like and what they don't like, but finding the exact right piece can be really challenging. So I think working with me saves time and then also really takes the stress out of the process because if you don't buy a ton of jewelry, the stakes can feel really high because you're not sure when you're going to acquire another piece or, um, or on the gift side, you really want to make the person feel like you get them and you see them and you've been listening and you know their style. And so when the stakes feel a little bit higher, it can be really nice to have someone guide you through the process and give you things to react to versus things that you have to kind of seek out. And making things fit within your parameters. I feel like you can run into at a jewelry store of like, this is exactly what I want, but they don't have it. And here's as close as they can get. I feel like it's a bit limiting where you have the resources to keep searching from different suppliers and retailers. Exactly. And the other thing about a retail store is it can often be very intimidating. So you go in, oftentimes the people who work there work on commission. And so people might kind of circle you or immediately start asking what you're looking for when you're still more of like in a browsing state of mind. And so the idea that we can hop on a consultation together, really deeply understand what you're trying to accomplish, what the style of the person is that we're shopping for, we can kind of take it at a different pace as well um, and relieve some of that anxiety of, I bet she's wondering right now whether or not I actually have money to spend or, you know, um, I think it can be really intimidating, particularly if you feel like you don't have the lingo or, you know, know all the terminology um, to walk into an expensive store and, um, and look for help. Well, thank you so much for giving us all of that rundown. Now let's talk about you personally really quick. We always have a personal style corner at the end of our interviews before we jump into our outfits, which spoiler alert for the listeners is a little bit different this week, but we have some questions to just find out a little bit more about you and your personal jewelry style. So how would you describe your personal style and how does jewelry play into that? Um, I would say my personal jewelry style is classic with a bit of a twist. I like to be just left of center um, versus right down the middle. Very, very classic. Um, I definitely have a, a less is more kind of sensibility most of the time. Um, but there's every once in a while where you want to wear something like really chunky and bold. Um, I like things that feel really like luxe and heavy. Um, so when I pick up a, a piece of jewelry, I'm, I'm, I want to feel it in my hands and kind of feel how heavy it is. Um, and I think most of all, your favorite pieces of jewelry have some sort of sentiment or some sort of story attached to it. And so um, I think that's what makes a piece of jewelry something so much more. Do you have a style icon or perhaps someone who you wish you could raid their jewelry? I was about to say supplies, but jewelry with cabinet, jewelry box. The jewelry box. Yeah. Oh, what a yes. great question. Um, I'll only give you the the first thing that came to mind, which was Gwyneth Paltrow. I feel like she's very polarizing. So I I love her. I'm team Gwyneth. So, (laughs) so, you know, the older I get, the more I am team Gwyneth too. And um, she is probably what she's wearing is going to be popular three or four years from now. Um, She is always just ahead of the curve and everything that she wears always feels like it's like a second skin. She never looks like someone like a stylist put it on. It looks like it's part of her essence. And I think some of that's confidence. 
some of that's being a 5'11 blonde, but mm-hmm. um, I think that she has just an incredible sensibility and she wears things beautifully. So I think this is a lot to, to say that jewelry like isn't wearing her because I feel like some pieces can get very heavy and maybe outshine the person that they're on but everything really suits her completely and she sort of puts together unexpected combinations but it never seems over the top um and you can and clothes are obviously really important to her too so you can always see the clothes as well um but she wears great designers um and she knows when to kind of like adjust course a little bit so sometimes she'll be in something really dainty but it just really pops and the other time she's in something you know, with insane carrot weight and really big, but it doesn't read gaudy. Um, and maybe that's just personal style, but um, I think she wears jewelry beautifully. Who is your favorite designer? Hmm. Um, I would say of like the major houses, um, Bulgari or Cartier are the pieces that I really covet. And I think um, are just so special. Um of more like the emerging designers, I would say um, Retrouve is always on my wish list. Um, I think she, Kirstie makes really beautiful things. And when we go through the the five pictures, um, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit. Ooh, perfect. Um, so yeah, she's one of my favorite sort of more emerging designers. Is there any jewelry trend that you participated in the past, a piece of jewelry that you're like, I need to have this right now that now you look back on and you're like, I should have waited on that. Like, I don't love it anymore. So I'm probably dating myself, but when I was growing up, what was everything was the Tiffany sterling silver. Mm-hmm. Remember those Tiffany heart bracelets, heart necklaces. That's what I got for my 16th birthday. Yeah. Oh, I did. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, that to me was something that I, again, for my 16th birthday too, I wanted, but it was so trend driven. I I think I remember thinking at the time, like this isn't that special, but Mm -hmm. everybody had it. And I felt like it was instant status or, um, so that would probably be like my most cringe thing is not that they're they're They can be worn. Oh no. Yeah. I love them. It's just, I think I acquired it for the wrong reason. Definitely. And I got the circle one, not the heart one. So it's a little bit more timeless. Do you still have it? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 All right. What well, last question you have to choose one jewelry stack to wear for all of eternity. What is going to be your jewelry uniform? Hmm. I would say probably like a really heavy, elegant set of bangles and cuffs. Um, but you're I've making over- noise as a ghost. You're coming around. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it, it stands out immediately. Um, again, people, you know, know when you're going to be entering a room. So you're sort of jingling your way there. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we talked about our sort of uh, jewelry icons or people who I think wear jewelry really beautifully. And the people who really style jewelry well um, have such a great grasp of bracelets and it is probably for of all the different stacks. So whether it's laying your necklaces or stacking your rings, if you know what you're doing with bracelets, you kind of just have to have beautiful things. Like there's not really a formula or a right way to do it. Um, it's, I think one of the coolest ways to really express your personal style um, is with a bunch of bracelets. I love that. All right. So now we will be hopping into our five fit review, but it's actually five jewelry pieces review. We asked Kat to send us through five pieces from her personal collection that she feels best represents her personal style. Of course, as always, you'll be able to go on our Instagram at Verve podcast and take a look at those for yourself because you'll definitely want to. 
So let's go ahead and jump into that. Kat, if you could just take us through your first image, what it is, where it's from, how you got it, any great stories associated, and we will be here. Happy to listen. These are my diamond hoops. They're yellow gold. They're about an inch. So they're definitely bigger than a huggy, but they're not sort of those huge Jennifer Fisher hoops that might be you immediately think of when you're thinking of a hoop. Um, and what I love about these is these are, you know, I, I always say that people should have an earring for like their go-to earrings for weddings. Like these earrings truly you can wear with a white shirt. You can wear with a ball gown. I mean, not that I'm wearing ball gowns, but this is probably, you could. Those, you could, you absolutely could. This is probably one of the most versatile fancy pieces in my collection. Um, I bought those about a year or two into starting the business. So I, I did have the unfair advantage of buying them at a wholesale price. Um, but these mean a lot to me because I bought them for myself. And um, although it's an emotional purchase, this was a strategic one for me. I wanted to have that go-to semi-statement earring that could still allow the outfit to speak for itself, but just really sort of show some elevated style. Absolutely. And what better way than a gold diamond hoop? I mean, like you well, said, hoop classic. Girlies. yeah, big hoop girlies and it's a classic, but like you said, like a little bit left of center, it's got mm -hmm. the diamonds all over, um, versus just like a straight line or something like that. Do you uh, still have like milestones in your business? Do you like treat yourself to a new piece of jewelry when you're like, when I hit X amount in sales or clients? Yeah, absolutely. I, I probably acquire jewelry more on like personal milestones. Um, so I too, like one of the other pieces we're going to look at was a ring we did after my second daughter was born, which was really exciting. Um, so I probably think of it more as personal milestones, but, um, the success of the business, like allows me to, to really splurge and go for it. So, um, so they're definitely connected. All right. So your second piece looking like an engraved pendant? Yes. Yeah, so that's the back of the locket. I sent a different picture of the locket as well. Um, this piece is really special to me. It's on a longer 22 inch chain. So that always feels really chic um, because it is a little bit longer than like a typical everyday necklace. Um, this I believe is from the late 1800s, which is really cool. It's 18 karat gold. So it has that sort of buttery yellow versus the more sort of traditional, what you think of as probably 14 karat gold. Um, but the reason this is so special to me is this was a gift from my dad for my 21st birthday, uh, very shortly after my grandmother passed away. And so, um, I think maybe just my birthday was four days after she passed. And so, um, when I wear this, I think of her, I think of him. Um, and in many ways, it also inspired the start of the business. Um, I mentioned I had that awful experience buying a, a bracelet for myself, but when I wear that necklace, the locket for my dad, I have a mil I get a million compliments and people always say, I can't tell you what it would mean if my dad ever bought me a necklace, but he would never do that. And so on the gifting side, you know, the inspiration there is really, if you can make people feel like they couldn't get it wrong, that more people would make a grand gesture like that. And so, um, I don't do quite as many fathers buying for daughters, but it's, I mean, one of the coolest sort of most emotional purchases you can make. I would really love to manifest more business like that for you. I think that sounds incredibly emotional. That got me all, you know, like a little feely. <laughs> we didn't talk at all about, uh, vintage jewelry or historical jewelry. How does that fit into your business at all? Yes, I've got some great vintage dealers. And so we can definitely source vintage. Um, I would say it's a different mentality. 
um, similar to what we were saying from like a value perspective, the designer or signed pieces are always going to be so much more expensive than something that isn't. Um, but it is such a sort of getting into vintage jewelry is such a cool way to understand more modern history um, and have just a whole new appreciation for more modern pieces. And um, gypsy rings have become really popular, which is those sort of like sort of thicker gold, yellow, um, yellow gold rings with gemstones. Um, and when people ask me about them, they're like, I know it's really modern, but I like it. And ironically, they, they seem really modern, but those have been around for hundreds of years. So it's um, vintage is sort of a cool way to learn about history, learn about craftsmanship. Um, but it's a, ver a very different buy. All right. Let's move on to our next piece here. Some earrings. Again, another one of those pieces that the story is just as significant as the piece. Um, the day before we left the city for my wedding, I wanted to get my engagement ring cleaned. I, I was not working in the jewelry business at the time. I had no idea where to go. So I'm in the middle of Manhattan. I just Google mapped jewelry. And I found myself up on the 18th floor at this woman's private studio. Um, she's a goldsmith and hand makes everything. And so I really just brought my engagement ring to be cleaned, but she takes it to the back and it's taking a long time. And in hindsight, I know well enough to know that I was being completely sold to, um, by the time <laughs> she cleaned the ring and she charged me to clean the ring, which is always a huge red flag and ladies, any, you know, nice reputable jeweler will, will clean your engagement ring on the house. So, um, so just to let you know what a chump I was, um, <laughs> I paid for my ring to be cleaned, um, and walked out with these earrings. Um, these are also 18 karat gold. They've got really cool little orange sapphires. Um, and the stone on the bottom is rose quartz. Um, I wore those to my rehearsal dinner. So I wore them truly the next day. Um, and probably after that bracelet I got for that promotion, probably like the second real piece of jewelry I bought for myself, I was in sort of an impulsive mood. I had so much to do before the wedding weekend. And I just was like, we're spending enough money this weekend. Let's just do it. <laughs> Right. Just add it to the list. Put That's on the how tab. weddings feel eventually. You're just like, what's another X amount, you know? Put it on the tab. Yep, exactly. So this is my one red box moment for, for everybody. Um, this is my Cartier Orchid ring. Um, this was a gift from my husband, Clay. Um, it's one of those things where if we had a fire, I would go back in for <laughs> this and maybe one or two other things. Um, the way we landed on this ring was um, in New York City, where we were living when we were engaged and getting married. Um, people tell you to just go to Tiffany and Cartier and all the major Fifth Avenue stores to try on wedding bands. And of course, it's better value not to buy it there, but that's where you can try it on and get great service. And so we went into Cartier on a lunch break one day, completely fish out of water. Um, and I just had to try on this orchid ring, which of course is nothing at all like a wedding band. And I was dead serious. And I told Clay, I was like, I would like this. I don't need a wedding band. <laughs> he's he's kind of traditional. So he insisted that we walk away um, and get a, a more traditional band. But uh, about a year later, he surprised me with this. Um, and now that I'm in the business, I think it's one of the last pieces he's bought me, but, um, <laughs> it, uh, it's very, very special to me. Um, it is one of the few things in my collection where I really do only wear it for fancy occasions on a crazy thin band. Um, and I'm a little nutso about not denting it. So I'm kind of breaking my own rules here when I say jewelry is meant to be worn, but I always feel like $10 million when I wear it. Um, and it's so beautifully made and, um, I love that, um, 
to a Cartier enthusiast, you'd be familiar with their orchid line or their orchid ring, but it doesn't sort of scream, you know, uh, designer. I gasped when I saw this on your like about page on your website and you had the little story about your husband. I was like, Katie, I've never seen a ring more beautiful. It's truly <laughs> stunning. Oh, and, and guys, you got to see it in person. Um, I will, if we ever get to meet, I will insist that you try it on. Um, uh, we're uh, meeting. It's happening. It's, it feels good on the hand. Um, and it's very special to me. It's gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. All right, here we go. So this one is going to be a little bit less relatable, but you asked for my five favorite pieces and I wanted to, to give you my truth. Um, also Absolutely. has a really amazing story. Um, Clay's grandmother wore this big round diamond. Um, and when he was looking to propose, he asked his grandmother for the ring and she inserted this very thick Southern accent said, I'm not done with it yet. <laughs> so he ended up proposing with my engagement ring. So he had to step up and, and buy a ring himself. Um, but when she passed the ring, you know, as promised, did go to him. And so we ended up repurposing it into this new setting um, when my daughter Penny was born. And um, it was uh, it was such a fun process for me. I got to work with Kirsty over at Retrouve, which, you know, as I mentioned before, is um, a brand and designer who I admire a lot. Um, and the picture here is on my left hand. I often wear this on my right hand. Um, but what's cool about this piece is it's sort of appropriate on your left or right hand. Um, I don't wear it with a band or any other ring. It kind of speaks for itself. Um, and I just really love the way it's made. Yeah. It's I love that beautiful. thick brand. Mm -hmm. Sorry, thick band. Is that considered a gypsy ring because it's a gemstone set or? Um, similar to it, the, um, the way the diamond is actually set in the ring is not like a more traditional gypsy setting, but it, mm. it accomplishes a very similar look. So you're exactly right. Well, it has been an absolute joy to look at all of these photos of all of your jewelry and hear all the stories. And it really, now I'm excited to go buy some fine jewelry for myself. Yes, I love that. Well, thank you guys <laughs> so much. Do you want to let everyone know where they can find you on Instagram, on your business and how they can get in contact with you? Absolutely. So the best place to find us is at Best Kept Jewelry on Instagram. Uh, the website's bestkept.com. And you can always reach out directly over email at cat, cat with a K, at bestkept.com. Perfect. We'll have all of those in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on, Cat. It was a really pleasure to get to know you and to learn all about jewelry today. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. And with that, we'll talk to everybody next week. Bye. Bye. Verve is the only source for everything fashion on the internet. If you've been inspired to get dressed up for yourself this week, tag us to be featured on our Instagram at Verve Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Katie Gassman and at Anna Grace Averitt. Links are in the show notes. This podcast is written and produced by Katie Gassman and Anna Grace Averitt. Edited by Katie Gassman. Creative direction by Anna Grace Averitt. This has been a three beverage media production.